Dun dun da da dun dun. We are back, being thrown in. Ba dum bum ba dum bum 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 Whatever. Here we go. We got a banging episode here. All right. First of his name. Lot happening here. Let's get into the plot, shall we? In King's Landing, Tommen is crowned as king. Cersei decides that Tommen will marry Marjorie in a fortnight. Tywin tells Cersei that the gold mines of Westerlands have run dry, and the crown is deeply indebted to the Iron Bank of Bravos. But the union of the houses of Lannister and Tyrell will help rectify this problem. Cersei asks Oberyn to send a ship back to Sunspear as a gift for Marcella. Marcella, whatever. In the Vale, Peter and Sansa arrive at the Vale. At the Bloody Gate, Peter tells Sir Donnell Wayneward that Sansa's name is Elaine, hiding her true identity. Lysa reveals that she poisoned John Aaron and accused the Lannisters in her letter to Catelyn and Peter. Lysa tells Sansa that once Tyrion is executed, she will marry Robin. Ew, gross. So much to talk about there. In Marine, Dario tells Daenerys that his forces have taken the Marine Z Navy. Jorah tells her that both Joffrey perished and Astapor and Yunkai have fallen back into old habits. Daenerys tells Jorah that instead of sailing to Westeros, she intends to stay for now and rule Slaver's Bay. On the King's Road, Brienne and Podrick ride toward the Wall, believing that Sansa is there with Jon. In the Riverlands, Arya reveals to the Hound that Syria was killed by Meryn. Beyond the wall, John's group attack Carl's group at Craster's Keep. What is st- John's group attacks Carl's group? That's stupid. At Craster's Keep, Locke tries to kidnap Bran, but Bran enters Hoarder's mine and kills Locke, then frees Jojen and Mira. Bran wishes to reunite with John, but Jojen tells him that John will stop their journey. So John kills Carl, while Rast flees into the woods and is killed by Ghost. John burns Craster's Keep at the suggestion of Craster's wives. So, I have a very special guest today. A uh, good friend of mine, Jared. Jared, what's going on? Nick, what's going on? Jared, so glad you're here. This is fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing super. Um, I'm really excited that you're going to talk this episode with me because it was really nuts. For the people at home who don't know, like, what is your affiliation with Game of Thrones? Are you an expert? Are you kind of like me? Where are you at with this? I've seen the whole thing once, and I would say seasons four through eight, I saw when they aired on HBO. I think the first three seasons I binged at one point, um, and I haven't revisited it since the series conclusion, which I know you haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. And um, I was never really that engaged into the fan theories and stuff leading up to the ending. Um, I was always just kind of engaged with Game of Thrones as just like this kind of uh, cultural relic of monoculture that everyone is into and everyone wants to know what happened, just like pure uh, water cooler um, <laughs> fodder that uh, people of all walks of life were interested in. And so that's why well, I watched it. Exactly. That's kind of where, uh, that's what kind of drove me away from starting like t- waiting to watch it till a year ago is because it was so popular. I just wanted to be kind of like, no, you don't get to tell me what to do. I'll decide if I want to watch it. You know, it was oh. just, I, I, I couldn't believe how just people couldn't stop talking about it. And you know, the, the watch parties and then the, the posts and I was just like, I don't care. And now I get it though. Kind of, I'm, I'm halfway through season four. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is pretty slapping. So, and then especially with this episode, um, did you get a chance to rewatch this one or, or not so much? Oh, sorry. I did not. Oh, that's not a problem. We're just going to walk through it here. That's not a big deal. I'll remind you of some of the things that happened and, and see what you recall, because there's some uh, interesting questions that some of the things popped up here too, that you can help me out. What um, I do know that 
uh, that Bran wins in the end. That's the only spoiler I know. I know he's the winner. Right. right. Which, which is going to help lead up to a couple of questions that I have, some interesting plot points. So I'm just going to get started at the beginning. It talks about – or it doesn't talk. It shows Tommen is becoming king. And they say the phrase, long may he reign. And I just got to wonder, with every king, when he gets the crown, like when they say long may he reign, do, do any of them actually believe that? I mean, what's the track record with kings? They all seem to get murdered, right? Yeah, well, I guess that's why they have to be wishful during the ceremony. <laughs> I, I suppose so. It's just like, I just said, I wrote, yeah, okay, long may he reign. Cersei, well, Marjorie's locking sweet eyes with Tommen. She's playing her role. Wait, did I say Cersei? No, Marjorie's locking eyes with Tommen, but Cersei sees it, and she just goes straight for the jugular and comes over to, to talk with her. And, and some of the banter that they have is that Cersei is, says that she believes Joffrey would have been a monster. Do you think that Cersei really was believing that Joffrey would have been a monster, or is she just playing her role to try to like get Marjorie in her pocket, so to speak? Okay, so I was... See, I'm tempted to ask for some context because I'm mm. not entirely sure where on the timeline we are, and I don't want to spoil anything for you. For sure. So, so uh, you know, Joffrey died two episodes ago. He was okay. poisoned, okay. and so he's gone, and now Tommen is taking over, and Marjorie, in the last episode, was instructed by her grandmother to go and win over Tommen in the bedroom so that she has control of Tommen. Mm. But I, so she was kind of, so Tommen has eyes for Marjorie, and now... Cersei, Cersei is trying to, you know, they're they, I think the next episode or two, there's going to be the, the courtroom. Um, why, why can't I think of that? The for um for Tyrion, the the court hearing, because he's uh, charged with Joffrey's murder. So I think she's going around. I've often compared Cersei to this chess player of just moving pieces all the time. Like, okay, I need to get this person here because she does this later in the episode too. She does this three times actually. She she talks to Marjorie and asks her to help Tommen. And that's the crux of the conversation is I want you to help him be a good king. You know, he needs help. I'm like, why is she hated Marjorie before? And now she wants Marjorie to protect Tom. And is it for a bigger picture? Or is it because she wants to protect her youngest son? And then we'll talk about it later. But eventually she goes and talks to Tywin and talks to, to I'm calling him Mandalorian, even though it's, it's the guy who plays Mandalorian. I just gave him a nickname because I don't know his name quite well yet. But so, yeah, I just I can't trust Cersei. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so your question was, do I think that she actually thought that Joffrey would have been a bad king or if, sorry, what was the question again? Yeah. Do you think that she thinks, so she says that Joffrey would have been a monster and treated her horribly. Do you think that she is playing to Marjorie's um, side to get Marjorie to believe her? Or do you think that she truly does believe that Joffrey would have been horrible? I think probably a little bit of both, right? Um, sure. I, I think that she's probably not deluded that her son had some bad tendencies, but at the same time, she really does uh, want what's best for her. Uh, is this her last remaining son by Jamie? Yeah. 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 Tommen. Yeah. So I think that she's definitely being extra protective. So yeah, Cersei is just doing Cersei things, being a bad bitch. Uh, we're going to move to the next scene where it's Daenerys. And this is a real big question I want to ask is that she's got 93 ships now, right? Uh, she's con she's got the unsullied. She's conquered Yunkai and that other place, uh, Istanbul or whatever. I, I wrote Istanbul. That's not it. I forgot what it was already. So she conquered these things. She has the ship. She has the army. She says, like, can we go? She's got these dragons that are growing. She's getting super strong. And a theme I've been coming up in the last couple of episodes is how does she, now that I know that Bran wins, 
how does she not win? Especially when she does these great things like the, the cities that she's conquered and that she's freed the slaves in this scene, they tell her that those, you know, the people that she put in place to kind of oversee it are getting overthrown and like slavery is coming up again. And she's like, I'm not leaving slavers Bay until it's under control. Like, why would I go try to rule West Westeros if I can't even get slavers Bay under control where most people would go get the army. They wouldn't care what happens afterwards. She just so much leads with trust and by role modeling and setting an example. And she gets all these people to fight for her. Like they, the whole idea of leading out front with a banner, not from behind with a whip. She exemplifies that. How does she not win, dude? Well, I don't think you want me to tell you, right? No, I don't. <laughs> but that's, that's where I'm like, what happened here? Yeah. Yeah. I, she def. I don't want. I can't. I don't want to give anything away. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I appreciate you not giving things away. Some people will ask leading questions, leading me one way or another way, and then I'll get texts later from people like that person's spoiling it. I'm like, I don't know what they're spoiling. They're just. I'm just having a conversation. I have no idea, but I understand because yeah, you can't really answer how does she not win, but it's just it's kind of maddening, you know, to see. And now that's almost, I'm almost more intrigued to keep watching, knowing how it ends to see, okay, where does this happen? Where, where's the folly here? Um, Well, okay. I'll just say this, like the Daenerys you are seeing in this episode is not the Daenerys you see in the last season. It's just a different, she becomes a different person. Yeah. And that's, um, I'm hearing that about a lot of different characters that their, their characters kind of changed in that last season. So um, my, my dear aunt Patty had talked about like, as her, sphere of like freedom goes of freeing slaves so does her sphere of um uh like violence uh Mm -hmm. because you know like with the last uh city she conquered she hung up the 168 slave owners on the crucifixes like they did the children you know someone said you you should probably like you don't need to do this and she goes no they will pay the price and i thought that was sweet pretty badass but my aunt was kind of saying like you know that's maybe not a good direction that she's going so maybe there's something along those lines we're just she has the good intentions, but then the more power she gets, the more people that want to fight for her. Maybe that's my wild prediction. I don't know. Yeah, I'll say that some of the criticism, I mean, I'm sure that even though you don't know what happens, you're aware that the ending has been criticized, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that criticism is because, uh, especially into like, you know, season four, which I think a lot of people would argue is the peak of the show, they really do paint a really compelling picture of a flawed, but well-meaning leader again not to give anything away one of the big criticisms is that as the show goes on and specifically as it goes on without the guidance of martin she becomes a little bit more of a caricature oh i see yeah yeah that's been a running theme of people saying when the the source material ran out that's what a lot of people say is that that's she becomes what the new idea of what she should become i guess now has has oh go ahead were you gonna say? Well, I, I was gonna be kind of a side thing, but um, I, but if you want to stay on to- on track, I, I won't. Uh, no, I like the side conversations. That's so, kind of what this is about. How, yeah. how how closely did you follow? Uh, you know the 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 fallout of after the finale. Close enough. Uh, um, what's uh, what's it called? Aaron Rodgers had a huge rant on it in a post game conference that I thought was hilarious, especially because I didn't know any of the names. <laughs> <laughs> did you see that? I didn't, but that sounds funny. But yeah, uh, he just went off, and then I know that overall it was really well, or not well, not geez, not well received. You see, I see a ton of videos on the internet 
saying, you know, what went wrong? What, uh, what, why did this person change? What's going on here? And so I've, I've tried to stay away from clicking on any of those to see the analysis of it. But what did you want to comment on that? Yeah, reason I ask is, uh, and this is probably, it was a minor thing. It maybe went viral for like two days, but there was an article that came out, I don't know, maybe, I want to say it was a couple of months after the finale, but it was that the Game of Thrones showrunners were at a film festival in Texas, and they like openly admitted to having no idea what they were doing on the show, and it like enraged people and like started a whole new wave of disappointment and hatred towards uh Benny Off and Weiss, I believe their names are. Do you remember do, do you remember that at all? I don't I, I didn't hear about that. I'm just wondering how do you get so far into this and get it as pop, as you said, water cooler fodder. And you get two guys that are just like winging it, like, well, let's see what happens. Like, how does that happen? Well the reason I brought that up is because I was actually there at that particular film festival during this uh panel. And although I'm not a huge fan of how the, the series ended, I will say that like that whole debacle was taken completely out of context Oh, okay. because these guys had never run a TV show before and they were really talking to an audience of aspiring filmmakers and aspiring writers. And they were basically saying like, guys, you can do it. We had like, we're too like, I think, one of them is, has like a PhD in philosophy or like did their PhD on Hegel or something like that. But they're like, we're just a couple of book nerds that don't know how to run a show. And we created the most successful TV show of all time. <laughs> and then, you know, which was, I thought like really humble and uh, you know, a really awesome thing to say to a audience of aspiring people. And it was just taken way out of context on the internet. And um, that was a, situation where the hate that's leveled at the series finale really just got too much for me. Interesting. Yeah. That I have a couple of people that say, if you just enjoy the show and you think about how good it is, it's kind of hard to, the, the expectations were so high. They couldn't be met no matter what. I a hundred percent believe that. I believe that at the end of the day, uh, seasons one through four and five or whatever were made under the impression that, uh, hey, man, things are going well. Checks are going to keep coming in from HBO. And Georgie Boy is, you know, busy writing. Let's go. Let's go. And then Georgie Boy stops writing. And HBO says, like, yeah, this thing is great. But, you know, we're burning money here because this is one of the most expensive TV shows, if not the expensive, most expensive TV show ever made. We got to wrap it up in, you know, 12 episodes, guys. And, you know, when you're in that situation, you do the best you can. That's mm -hmm. all you can do. And, uh I know that like a lot of people, it's very hard to put a human fallible human face to people who've been creating something that's so important in your life. But at the end of the day, these guys, uh, you know, killed it completely for most of their run. And, uh, you know, hey, at least they've written an ending. George R. R. Martin, you know, <laughs> hasn't fucking stepped up and given us his take. So yeah. until until then, man, you know, let's at least let's at least admire who's playing ball. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's one of the better takes I've heard. At least someone had the balls to like fucking do something instead of just like pussyfoot around and just wait for it. Yeah. Literally waiting till he dies. He can't yeah. fucking wait. He's like, Oh, gotta, gotta maintain legend status before I die. I can't fuck this up. Um, I haven't, Sorry, that's uh, a dark joke. no, it's not. It's pretty good. It's pretty on par for, for this. In the first couple seasons, I was when I uh, first started this almost a year ago, um, 
back last summer, I was really into Hamilton at the same time. And so I tried to make Hamilton references as much as I could. And now we just got one where why is Martin not riding like he's running out of time for my Hamilton friends out there? They'll laugh at that one. Anyway, thanks for helping <laughs> me. I haven't, I haven't had a Hamilton reference in a long time, so I appreciate that. I actually so, have no idea what you're talking about because I have not seen or listened to Hamilton. Oh, Jared, you're doing yourself a real disservice. I know. I've heard that my sister's a diehard fan, and uh, she had it on Disney Plus, just playing for like 24 hours. And I did um, too. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I heard some stuff in the background, but I never actually sat down to watch it beginning to end. Well, because it's another one of those things that you need. You watch it from beginning to end, and then you go, "Great, I need to watch that three more times to really understand what I just watched." Okay, cool. But I do. I have, I've brought a lot of songs in my fifth grade classroom and just said, like, "Hey, we need to talk about." this idea and what does this mean and just the the way he wrote it's well we could do another i'll have you on the podcast for hamilton how's that when you watch sounds good (laughs) anyway um so back to thrones so after daenerys and that whole scene which i really liked it cuts to uh baelish walking with sansa up to uh wherever they're where wherever that place is called wherever um sansa's aunt is aunt lysa and he's baelish is going off saying you know, know your strengths and use them wisely. One man can be worth 10,000. And I, and, you know, and his, uh, his stupid accent kills me. Like, one man can be worth 10,000. Just like, dude, shut up. It annoys me. <laughs> and then, um, but I just thought it was interesting how they're going up to the, I wish I could remember what, it, what it's called, but I have my first Ofak moment was that uh, to see Lysa and, and uh, her son, Robin, where we haven't seen them since the first season. Then it was cute to see Sansa stick up for Tyrion when, when they were talking shit about Tyrion, which I thought is an interesting dynamic. I wonder if that's going to get revisited. I didn't realize how La- Lysa was super hot for, Ludafing- or for Littlefinger or Baelish. And then my huge oh fuck moment here is that Baelish, so far, just revealed that he is behind everything. The puppet master. He told, he told Lysa to poison her husband and then write a letter to Kat saying it was the Lannisters. Like everything, this whole shitstorm got started with Peter Baelish. So now what is this dude's fucking deal? Yeah. I mean, he's uh, definitely the little trickster. Yeah. I, I've often talked about Cersei being playing chess and it feels like Baelish is playing 3d chess. Totally. Yeah. And so just... Your first Oh fuck moment was just that like Robin is all grown up now and you're like, Oh shit, that's the same kid. I remember yeah. having, I remember having that feeling. Yeah. Cause the last time we saw him, he was, you know, make the little, make the little man fly and he's sucking on Lysa's booby. And now he's grown up and I'm just like, thank God he's off the tit. That's great. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But it was uh, very wild to see him grown up. And then that Oh fuck moment got really shouted over when, you know, and I also, I think that Baelish is even using Lysa here, like the way he like, I, I didn't write the quote down, but he just said, you know, things are forgotten, but they're only remembered if you breathe life into talking about them, you know, just like shut up. Like what's done is done. The past is past. We need to move forward. Like the plan's in motion. I think, I think he's going to end up killing Lysa because I think at the end of the day, he wants Sansa. That's my big prediction. It's pretty obvious how he felt about Kat. And I think he really has a thing for Sansa. And I think he's using Lysa to get to her is you know because she kept saying I want you like Wayne Wayne can be married I want to be married like let's go let's get this done and it wasn't until she had spoken up about the murder when he goes all right all right all right we'll get married we'll get married yeah I just think that the there's more plots and schemes coming from Baelish I don't know what they are but I I'm just that's my prediction for that 
Blink twice if you think I'm correct. <laughs> I did it, man. <laughs> right. I did something. You did something. All right, cool. So, yeah, that was the biggest moment for me. I was texting my sister like crazy when I was watching this because she was really one that's like gotten on me. I'm like, Baelish? She's like, yeah, scumbag. I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah, him and him and Varys are both like right, you know, really behind the scenes, calculating, cunning, manipulative types for sure. Yeah. If you can remember up to this point, um, who would you say would be would have been your favorite character? If you can remember, I mean it's been a long time since you've seen it. You obviously haven't revisited, but if you remember, like what who were you who did you like? Who were you rooting for? You know, I, I really admire performances that evoke such strong feelings of hatred because uh, I think that that's sometimes like one of the strongest uh, reactions that an audience member can have because not only because like that kind of like just uh, elemental orientation towards someone uh, really is a testament to how believable the evil is. And so I got to hand it to Joffrey. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, everyone just hates the shit out of him. Me included. uh, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie. I mean, this is like an 80s movie, uh, or Ordinary People, but Mary Tyler Moore plays this super hateable character, and uh, she's amazing in it. But uh, same thing with, um, I can't remember her name, but whoever plays the original Nurse Ratched. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Joffrey just is one of the most unforgettable characters of the whole series. He evoked one of the strongest reactions. Um episode to episode people were so happy when he died um that guy i understand he doesn't act anymore but man uh, he was so convincing he really was i had a running gag when it first started going was like if joffrey and malfoy got in a fight who would win because they're both kind of bitches but oh yeah but i mean malfoy is he's pg compared to the yes (laughs) (laughs) he's very pg this was this was season one where I'm making these comparisons by about season two or three. I'm like, Oh, this is a different level of monster here. Yeah. And it's funny you say that. Cause I know people who, you know, will be, uh, will tombstone will be on people like, Oh, I don't like Val Kilmer. I'm like, why he's so gross. And too like doc holiday is just such a weird character. I'm like, isn't that his job? Like, didn't he do a good job of making, then you do like Val Kilmer. It turns out. Right. Yeah. They so, just don't know it. <laughs> they, don't, they don't get it. So now we move to Cersei doing her, chess playing because she's talking with her dad Tywin and I wrote hold up the Lannisters are bankrupt for like three years and so Tywin is marrying off with the Tyrells for resources like for money and then a really good exchange between Cersei and Tywin and Cersei gets less dig uh, to gain points for the conviction because she's trying to you know get his vote to convict Tyrion it looks like and she just says like you know the Lannister name is all that you care about and and Joffrey was going to li- let the li- name live on and you're you know you have the chance to convict the guy who murdered him like this is your chance to live up to your whole moral code of the the name is the only thing that lives on not much not much there except just chess chess moving uh then there's a quick cutaway to Arya given her uh list of names that she people she's going to kill and that list just keeps getting bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. then the hound is and then she and the hound's like finish your list girl and he she finishes it with the hound and i just i'm like the Hound has saved you a couple times. He's walking with you. I get that he's not a good person, but can't not good people like have redeeming qualities? I would just wonder if he is going to redeem himself or if she is going to make do on her vow to kill the Hound or any of these people. Like, I hope that she... I, I, I've been rooting for her for a long time, but she's kind of like, to talk about Georgie Boy, like, shit and get off the pot. Like, Arya, like, I need you to 
stop wandering the woods and do something here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, without giving anything away, stuff's going to get pretty cool with Arya. Okay, yeah. I figured as much. I just figured it has to get cool because they did such good groundwork of setting up the strong female that she is. I'm like, I'm just... Now I'm now I'm Aaron Burr and I'm waiting for it. It's, yeah, I got I got another Hamilton reference in. Man, you're doing <laughs> great with for not seeing it. You're setting me up great. Throw me softballs. This All is fantastic. Right. So then we cut to Lysa bringing in sweets, and I and it's funny. I wrote as I'm watching this, I don't like her. Oh geez, this is heating up because she like gets into Sansa's face and like is holding on to her arms and like saying like like what is your problem? Like why does why does uh, Baelish like you and I don't like basically I don't trust you and then it finishes it off with that she's gonna marry Robin and I'm just like oh my god I have a list growing of like most tortured characters and then there's two there's Theon who's obviously being tortured right now and I don't he has turned into Reek and that's all I know what's going on with him uh, not good shit's going on with Theon slash Reek but then you have like Catelyn Stark who's been super tormented in terms of losing her husband and then going on the road and then uh, Jamie was just trolling the shit out of her until he eventually let him go. And then, you know, then her son took her captive and then her son married somebody else without her approval. Like she just, and she doesn't know where her daughters are. She just was very tormented up until her death at the red wedding. But now like Sansa, I'm just feeling, I, I hated her in the first season. She was so annoying. And now I'm just feeling so remorseful as when she got Joffrey and this was really pre monster Joffrey. He was just a douchebag still. And I was like, you know what? You deserve Joffrey. You made your bed. Now sleep in it. And then obviously when Joffrey had Ned killed, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And then they had her marry Tyrion. And I'm like, well, that sucks for her. But also like Tyrion's at least a good person, but still like that's not ideal for her. But now she gets rescued and now she's going to marry her, her cousin, Robin. Like she just, just gets screwed every which way she goes. Yeah. So you're t- so you're saying that uh, the whole reek transformation is happening right now in this episode. Not in this episode. Reek just makes my list of um, tortured characters. Oh, okay. uh, he's being physically tortured. He actually had mental torture in two, like his dad just not caring about him and whatnot. But um, it's just thinking about like there's characters that suck, like Joffrey, as you talked about, but there's characters that you just your heart aches for. And Sansa is now climbing that list for me because it's just when one thing, like it's like one step forward, three steps back for her. She can't get any traction. So, yeah. I, you know, good things are coming for Arya. I'm wondering if good things are coming for Sansa or not, because it could get worse. I mean, you're supposed to marry Robin, but I'm I'm having a feeling that Baelish is going to swing his self in there. I think that's the, the real bad shit that's coming. Yeah. Well, one thing I can definitely say without giving anything away, because, um, you know, I don't want to confirm or deny a lot of your suspicions, which are very good suspicions. But um, you did mention the whole Reek thing. And that was just one thing that I had a particularly strong reaction towards, because, uh, man, I mean, whether or not the actual depiction of the event was graphic or not, it's still just, you know, if you actually think about what's going on, it's one of the most depraved things I've actually seen dramatized on the screen. Horrific. Uh, Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like, it's weird how... um, So there, I, I think you haven't gotten to this point yet, but... There have been a handful of times that people are outraged over something that happens in Game of Thrones, and usually mm. it has to do with something like sexually oriented. But I don't remember anyone complaining about just you know the what was happening to to, uh, to Reek. Yeah, I always found that to be 
uh, probably the most shocking thing that happens in the whole series if you really try to think about it. Right. He's completely, I mean, like I said, he was already tormented before. Like he's trying to win his father's approval. He doesn't feel like a real son. Like it's just layer upon layer upon layer. Like who is he? Who is this person? Who am I? Am I, am I part of Ned Stark's family? But they took away my family. So I'm going to try to fight for my family. But they told me, and now I'm kind of like a sellout. So I'm going to try to win some glory back for my father. And then I'm going to get captured along the way and get completely broken to where he's completely duper, a new person. And it's just, yeah, it, what unfolds, I just it just gets worse and worse. And I still don't know why. What's happened? Like, why did they do this to this person? I, I don't. And their main, and the answer very well could be because they could. I don't know. You know, I'm sure I'll find out one way or another. But it's just like, I hated Joffrey. And then all of a sudden, who, what was the guy's name? Uh, Bolton is it Roos Bolton or something like that 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 uh, that's been torturing Theon? I right, can't think yeah. of his name. Uh, uh, Ramsey. Ramsey, Bolton? that was it. Okay. Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I got Roos, but yeah, Ramsey. Ramsey is uh, he he is a worse character. He is worse than Joffrey. Would you agree? Um, yeah. I mean, he's another good one, but I still think that Joffrey was just more memorable. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's, that has to do with the fact that it was like a kid playing the role of like the sadistic thing, like just such someone from such a young age could be so could maniacal. Be so awful. I, I definitely think it's that. And like no disrespect to the actor who's brilliant. Uh, he also has that kind of like believably inbred look. I feel horrible saying this, but you kind of know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and that's just like kind of one of the like one of those like serendipitous things in casting that uh, I think really adds to a performance, but people don't talk about for obvious reasons. But, right. Uh, We're not going to yeah. talk about that. That yeah. the actor playing Joffrey looks like maybe his mom fucked his, uh, his uncle. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's the high quality analysis that you come to me for. See, this is why we have you on the show. This is where I get my experts. That's what I need. Yeah. Then we cut to a fun little scene with Podrick going on a quest with Brienne. And she's like, and he can't ride a horse very well. And it's just funny. And Brienne just says, like, you don't need to be here anymore. I can be by myself. And he just says, then, and she said, what do you think they'll say? And he goes, well, then they'll say I'm not a very good squire. And it was kind of a nice moment. And then he almost falls off the horse. And so it's just, I'm interested to see how this dynamic plays. Because Brienne is awesome. She is super cool. Yeah, super badass. So then we cut to Hound and Arya again, and Arya's practicing, and then Hound gets Hound has some really good one-liners because he says, "What are you doing, girl?" And she's like, "Practicing." And goes, "What ways to die?" Because of the way <laughs> she was, <laughs> this is so good. And then he, so this is a theme of that I've come to a lot in some of these episodes is just the theme of power. What is power? Because uh, Baelish says knowledge is power. Cersei says power is power. Um, it looks like Hound feels like strength is power as he says that your friend is dead and Marin Mount isn't because he had armor and a big fucking sword. Do you, you know, the idea of walking silently and carrying a big stick, like what, what really does dictate power? Knowing the right people, being the strongest in the room. A com- I mean, obviously a combination of all would be great, but I, it, it just was an interesting quick aside. And what is power? You know, is it an illusion? The Cold War, no one fought anybody, but it was like who had more... Who had more nukes and what were, what were we going to do with them? You know, it was like, what? My thought on this is that I feel bad for you, Nick, because this line of thinking is exactly what's going to prime you for disappointment in the finale. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just take that and run. <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, I'll be disappointed in the finale. Because, yeah, I mean, you're asking good questions, and you would hope that an ending would at least, like, Socratically present another question. Sure. Or, like, you know, maybe even, like, dare to answer the question. And it doesn't really do either one. So, yeah. So, that's – and maybe that – so, again, where you and me come full circle, it's like they did the best that they could, and they're out there doing it. But – you can't leave these questions unanswered. You can't leave these things that people are talking about actively like, well, let's answer this question. If we're going to do it, let's, let's do it. At the end of the day, like, I don't know if you were running that show, if you were them and you had some data in front of you and you know, this is how, you know, unfortunately modern entertainment is, is like everything is based on data and like market research and stuff like that. And you had in front of you, that like 70% of your fans don't give a shit about what you just said about, Mm. you know, like how the show explores power and, you know, the market research suggests that you're going to get the most gratification from your core audience. If you have like this many fight scenes and this many love scenes or whatever, I don't know exactly if that's how it happened. You know, I would actually be interested in knowing, I don't know if a statistic has ever been done of this, but like of the entire population of people that watch game of Thrones, how many of them were actually disappointed and how much of the backlash that we know of is just from a very loud minority on social media? Oh, that's a phenomenal question. That would be great because again, if they had those stats, the, this faction once like is interested in power, then would they know that like the power is with the, the squeaky wheel and that the squeaky wheel is going to make it is going to doom it. You know what I mean? Like just like in a, in a meta kind of way, like, <laughs> Uh, knowledge, you know, like, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't have, obviously, don't have an answer, but that's an interesting. I wonder if that data exists. I'm far too lazy to go find it out. I'll ask one of my seven followers to go tweet it out to me. That'd be great. It's kind of like the meta thing with Star Wars and how, like, George Lucas started out as like this indie rebel in the film industry and then became the evil empire. He became, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like you became what you wrote about is what we shouldn't become. Yeah, and he's, like, self-aware about it. But, yeah, it is interesting how art mirrors life sometimes. Sure. Um, but uh, that, what a great transition to talk about um, Star Wars because Mandalorian's in the next scene writing poetry. I thought that was awesome. Um, I don't know. What's the guy's name? Do you know the, act, the real actor's name or even his character? I forget. He's the prince of uh, something. I just know he's playing Joel in the HBO Last of Us adaptation. So I'm just kind of like, all right, man, better step up to the plate. Better be good. <laughs> He's good in everything. He's rad. Uh, good. Well, I, I, uh, I, I'm not saying that I think his performances are lackluster. I'm actually not very familiar with his work because I've not seen The Mandalorian. But, uh, yeah, I just hope it's good. Jared, I have, you have so much homework before we talk again. You got Hamilton. You got Mandalorian. My goodness. Yeah, to be honest, man, I don't really watch a lot of content these days. Um, I stick to, like, a handful of shows that are, like, my comfort viewing and then in general, I'm just doing a lot more reading these days. Like, I'm just kind of, you know, for years I had to, like, watch these series, like, for work. And it right. was kind of exhausting. So I'm just a little bit, like, you know, as good as WandaVision is, like, there's nothing I want to do less than watch it. Just because <laughs> I, I, it's just not, you know, I'll, I'll catch up in, like, five years when I, when I want to do that shit again. Right. And it's funny, too, of not only that, is that you have every toolbox like me that you have never met or your friends that you talk to on a daily basis. Like, have you watched this? Have you watched this? Like there's so much content. I can't, I can't do it. Please stop. Please just let me, I'll go read my book. That'd be great. And with the pandemic, you don't have an excuse not to know about all that shit. Like what else are you doing, man? What else are you doing? Right. You're getting caught up on content. 
So anyway, he's writing poetry for his eight daughters. And then he brings up power again with him and Cersei because his sister, I believe, was murdered or something along that lines with the with the Lannisters. And then meanwhile, Cersei's son was murdered. And I forget, I didn't write down who said this quote, but said, what good is power if you cannot protect your loved ones? I forget who said that, but an interesting thought there too is, you know, is power kind of a false idea that you even have? Is this life so chaotic anyway? If I'm going to quote Malcolm, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, like it's just chaos. That's all life is. Like you can't control it. Like you think that you're in control and power and you're not at all. One of my favorite movies ever is, uh, have you ever seen Deliverance? I haven't seen Deliverance. I guess I have homework oh, too now. This is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit disturbing. So I uh, would, you know, say be cautious if you're not into uh, particularly like horrific scenes. Hmm. Don't watch it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a great scene where Burt Reynolds is like, the law? What law? And, uh, you know, it's just like one of those great like chaos theme moments. And, uh, right. Yeah. That movie is just so good, but disturbing. Uh, see, is it disturbing? Like, um, there's what's a, there's that, a, rec, like Rec Room for a Dream. That movie, I could I watched it once, and I knew I would never watch it again. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just there's a rape scene that's just hard to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, we saw um, Jamie rape Cersei next to their dead son. That was pretty tough to watch too. Okay, yeah. that was actually the, okay. So that has happened. That already. has that happened. Was, yep. That that was the thing that I was referring to as something that uh, created a little small outrage storm on the internet. Yeah, and yeah, I mean that's a disturbing thing, but not as disturbing as thoroughly breaking down one's, you know, just breaking a man's spirit, soul, identity, everything. That to me is more disturbing than rape on a corpse. But you know, not by a ton. But the fact that that got. <laughs> But the fact that that got no attention versus this other thing was weird to me. Yeah, I think it's the shock value of like you see the rape happen and you're just immediately like, wow. But the Theon thing to reek, that happened over many episodes. So it was just, you know, when you really sit down and think about how awful it is, of course. But, I, you know, I think that's where it was like one is immediate and our culture is way more for the immediate than like the long lasting idea. Yeah, it's so sad how things have to be like that visual and immediate and like tactile in order for it to like, you know, justify any kind of commentary or criticism. Whereas, you know, what happened to Reek is, yeah, it's something that's largely suggested. But I mean, that suggestion still makes its way to the viewer and is still horribly disturbing. And I'm not saying it should be censored in any way. But um, yeah, again, like there's just like this cynicism in suggesting that like, or it's not even cynicism. It's just that, you know, it's a lot harder to get people to click on an article that says like, you know, outrage at what happened to character over series of episodes. That's largely suggested versus take a look at this five minute clip and get outraged and, you know, yeah. visit our sponsors and stuff. So <laughs> right. yeah. Sorry. I'm getting off topic again. That's what, well, again, I'm not going to go ask you to listen to any of my podcasts, but that's what we do. We talk like, that's what I like about this, about the show is that we can talk about a theme and then that we can connect other movies and other ideas to it. And it's a conversation like game of Thrones is at the center of it, but what else stirs it? What, you know, and so and you, you're actually playing perfectly into what I've been doing the last year. So it's perfect. Great. So almost done with this episode. Cause then, yeah, just to finish off 
with Cersei is just playing the fucking game where she first goes to Tywin and now Mando just trying to get votes to lock away Tyrion and playing at each one of their heartstrings where she's talking to Tywin about holding up for the family name and then talking to Mandalorian about, you know, you know, I, I love my children and I love my family. Don't you love your family or the ones that would you do anything for them to, to avenge them type thing. And so she just, she knows what she's doing. And so I'm really interested to see what happens in the next episode or two, because I, th- I think his trial is up next and season is episode six or seven. So that's coming. Yeah. All I'll say is that I, I believe it's either the next episode or the episode after there were some great reaction videos to what you're about to witness. I remember seeing, uh, and you know, now it being during COVID, you know, it's almost bittersweet to remember, but I remember seeing like British pubs filled to the brim, all watching Game of Thrones and just like uh, an iPhone was capturing the reaction to a particular moment that happens toward the end of one of the next episodes you're gonna watch. And it was just priceless. And that really encapsulates the uniqueness of this show is just that it was able to create moments like that in a community. Right. Right. Then just real quick, uh, you, you Padra can't cook a rabbit and Brian's getting quite frustrated, but then they have a nice bonding moment and Brian has accepted pod and they're going to be friends. So I'm interested in that quest, but then we get to Craster's keep the end of this episode. And I've noticed, I noticed this too. Um, episodes or episodes scenes in the episode go fairly quick. You know, they're three to five minutes and then it cuts to, because there's so much going on this I didn't time it, but this was a long, long scene because so much happened with it. So I'm going to go through the breakdown real quick, my reactions, and then we can go back and talk about anything. But if there's something that I say that you need to like weigh in on, just, just stop me right away and, and let me know what your, what your reaction was or thought of. But the guy's last name is Locke, and he went and joined the Night's Watch. Uh, and he was from the House of Bolton, where you know he's the one that cut off Jamie's hand. So I'm like, why is this guy going up here? What's he doing? And I don't like it. I don't like that guy. And then there was this exchange between Bran and the other warg, the Love Actually kid. The kid was in Love Actually. I don't know his name. I just know he was in Love Actually. And he says, Bran must go on. He does. Um, so does he see the future as well as can Bran see? I don't even know if Bran can. I just know that Bran's this warg dude. And then it's just getting really uncomfortable as the crazy guy comes in and he's about to rape uh, Misha, I think is the girl's name. And Brand, this is my funny like moment. And Brand's yelling, "Please stop! Leave her alone!" Like Brand, dude, do you, my guy, do these guys look like they're going to stand a reason? Like, oh, you don't want us to do this? Okay, we'll stop. Sometimes it just is, <laughs> but you know, just like when people are saying lines like, "Please stop that!" Like that, that's not going to work. That never works. But then Jon Snow gets in here, and he's one of my favorite characters right now. Again, another character I'm like this guy embodies leadership. This guy embodies, you know, someone who I would go fight for. What's his story arc? How does that not play out? And But then another oh fuck moment is because Locke shows up and he realizes that he has Bran and so he's going to steal him. And I'm like, I knew it. He's a, he's a jerk. Oh, Bran going to warg out. And I didn't know he could control humans. And did he know that he could control humans? And if so, I wonder why he d- doesn't do that more because he just takes over Hodor and then Hodor just goes and kills Locke. But then Hodor feels bad about it, which I think is kind of interesting. And I wonder if how that dynamic will play out. And then the quest for the thread Raven continues because he convinces him not to reunite with John. And then the crazy scene with snow fighting this crazy fuck. And then my last, Oh fuck moment. And I actually wrote Jesus, Jesus titty fucking Christ. 
Snow with the sword through the guy's head and out the mouth was one of the more visually. I was not ready to see that on screen. And then Snow and Ghost are united. And then I just wrote, and then it ended. And I said, well, okay, then that was quite an ending to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. Well, a lot just happened in the last 10, 15 minutes. So I don't know if you have, if you remember watching that whenever the first time you watched it was, or if I said anything that you wanted to, but there wasn't a lot of philosophy. There wasn't a lot of themes. It was just straight action here. Yeah. I mean, that's the good stuff. Um, I will. So yeah, there was something that you said that something popped into my mind. I feel like we just covered a lot of ground in that little, in that last little section. Um, we did. I might, and I was going pretty fast because it was just, I, I was right. I felt like I couldn't write fast enough for what was happening on the screen. Like it was, and I, and I tried not to pause it because I want to stay in the moment. Maybe I should pause it more. Oh, but, I, I, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you were mentioning like Bran's powers and not really knowing the extent of them. Um, I don't think it's a big spoiler for me to say that you never really know, or at least I don't ever really know the extent of what he can and can't do. And I have a little bit of mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, it's like, well, you know, give it some rules so, you know, it can't, you, it can't just like write you out of corners, but I don't really think, or like, you know, they write the writers out of weird situations, but I don't actually think that they abuse his powers. And I actually think that it adds like a bit of mystery to the whole thing. You know, that's pretty appealing. Um, and I think, you know, they kind of maintain that tone of mystique around Bran and his powers pretty much through up until the end. And I think that that's pretty important because I never really knew what was going on with those scenes with, you know, the Three-Eyed Raven, but I knew it was cool. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much what matters. Yeah, and it was cool. It was cool to see to see him save himself, basically, with you know, by controlling Hodor. I liked. I thought that was fun. And and yeah, you don't ever want writers to just write out like, well, now, um, you know, magic, boom, like in Harry Potter. Like yeah. this, this doesn't. They don't make him. They don't make they. And again, I don't think this is too much for a spoiler, but they never make him overpowered. Like they definitely resist that temptation. <clears throat> and that's. All you can ask for, probably, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the end of that, that episode. Um, the first four episodes, I mean, Joffrey dies. There's there's some things that happen in, in season four, but it's it was kind of slow moving. This one really picks up speed, in my opinion. And so now, as you say, the next couple ones, I got some really some good things looking at here that I'm going to jump into, I think. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear how you react to the ending because most people, myself included, go into the ending with high expectations and are sorely let down. But I imagine your expectations by this point are rock bottom. Uh, that was like me with The Sopranos. I assumed that I was going to be horribly offended by the ending. And then it happened. I was like, oh, okay, that's it. You know, not that bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder too. What, what, I've talked to so many people and people have done so well at not spoiling everything else that, that there is that I could see. I'm pretty interested to see what's, you know, in a year from now, probably when I get there, it's like, what's, yeah. How am I going to feel about this? No. I, yeah. I'm interested to hear. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I seriously am humbled beyond belief that you agreed to talk to me. Like we've never met. And I just reached out and you said, yeah, I'd be game. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> it's just for fun. So Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was fun. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, Bakker being thrown in. Now let's get thrown out. We are back getting thrown out. No one cares. No one really listens. 